Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. We got a very special show tonight. Uh, we have something for every possible hemisphere of your brain. We're going to begin the show talking with our friend Brian Stelter, formerly of Reliable Sources on CNN. Now he writes at Vanity Fair. He's got a piece about political burnout in the most recent issue of Vanity Fair that you should read. It's rather interesting. And we're going to cover a few of the headlines as well. We're going to be joined later in the show by Texas State Representative Carl Sherman, who is uh, both a minister and a businessman. But now he's also a Texas uh, representative, and he serves in the legislature. He is running for Senate for Ted Cruz's seat. We're really thrilled to have him. He's a terrific public servant, and he's one of those guys, African-American minister from Texas, who knows how to use the Bible when dealing with those Bible thumpers. Uh, A very inspiring guy. Also, it keeps getting better. Um, Joining us in hour number three will be... Former Olympic gold medalist, former superstar of the New York Knicks, former senator from the great state of New Jersey, one of my dad's heroes, uh, Senator Bill Bradley, will join us. He has a new solo show that he was working on before COVID, and it's more a monologue, uh, like a speech, sort of not, not unlike Al Gore's show, not about climate change. But Bill Bradley um, was working on this monologue, and Spike Lee decided to film it. And uh, Spike produced it along with Frank Oz. They filmed it in New York City, a few blocks from our studio. It premiered yesterday on Max, and it's streaming now. It's called Rolling Along, and it's the senator telling his life and the lessons he learned about race, about leadership, about grace as an athlete, as a public servant. It's really special. My wife's not even a fan, and she came in and was so moved by it. Always a great pleasure to have a man who ran for president in 19, I'm sorry, in the year 2000 against Al Gore. And I will always wonder for the rest of my life, what would have happened if Phil Bradley had gotten the nomination and had every NBA player making ads for him? I always have believed maybe just maybe George W. Bush would have fallen and there would have been no Iraq war, no housing crash too. And if that's not enough people of earth, we have a very special guest coming in the second hour, a recipient of uh, an Academy Award and an Emmy and a Tony and a Nobel Peace Prize and a Kennedy Center Honors and a Cable Ace Award and a Blockbuster Award and the Nickelodeon Kids Choice Award, um, star of Mystery Science Theater 3000, TV's Frank, Frank Conniff. A couple of Pulitzers there, I'm sure. Frank will be answering all your questions about cheesy movies and uh, or, or personal questions about life or your taxes. Mr. Conniff will be here to make sense of it all. So, yeah, we're all over the place. Please join us tonight at 866-997-4748. Our our executive producer, Chris Hauselt, is away. So Thea Harper is running the ship tonight. Corey Keslak is running the boards. We are very thrilled to have Corey. He's a real professional, and it's always an honor to drag him down to our level. It's Friday. We made it. Let's do a show. 
all the crazy of this week was crammed into the Friday. Uh, As you may have heard by now, the U.S. has conducted strikes in Iraq and Syria against Iran's forces and Iran's proxies. More than 85 targets at several sites were hit in retaliation for the attacks on U.S. forces by the Iranian-backed militias, including the one that killed the three American soldiers last week. These militia strikes were uh, carried out on over a dozen sites in Syria and Iraq, um, 85 targets at over a dozen sites, a sharp escalation of the war in the Middle East that this White House has told us for months they're desperately trying to avoid. The airstrikes went after control operations and command intelligence centers, bunkers used by Islamic, the, uh, Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard, um, weapons facilities. And this was Joe Biden's promise that he would respond to the drone attack in Jordan on Sunday. It's also sending a message to Iran and to the militias that Iran is backing that continued attacks on U.S. troops or vessels in the region will draw a response. U.S. officials have made it clear the attacks tonight will be followed by more. But we're not bombing in Iran. That's the important distinction. Joe Biden said in his statement that the American response will continue at times and places of our choosing. The United States does not seek conflict in the Middle East or anywhere else in the world. But let all those who might seek to do us harm know, well, you get the idea. Now, these Iran-backed militia groups have been launching continuous attacks on U.S. and coalition forces in Iraq and Syria for years. They killed three soldiers, three African-American soldiers with a drone strike over the weekend. It's interesting seeing the conflicting responses to this on the left and the right. Now, on the left, you understand, uh, those of us who hate violence, who hate war, who are terrified of seeing America get pulled into a regional conflict, there's a lot of bad actors who would love the chaos that World War III would bring because they think that chaos would be a ladder for them. At the same time, those of us who are realists know Joe Biden is running for re-election. He has to respond in some way, right? He has to do something. And the fact is, he did not respond inside of Iran. It is a proxy war. A message has been sent. He's got a call for a ceasefire in Gaza after this. These were long-range bombers that were flown in from the U.S., 125 precision munitions. Now, Republicans wanted Biden to attack inside Iran. And here's where it gets crazy. Dan Sullivan sits on the Senate Armed Services Committee, and he was on CNN earlier. And let's just play this clip, uh, Thea and Corey, if we could. This was Dan Sullivan, senator from Arkansas, earlier tonight, explaining why we really should go to war inside Iran. It's the clip that I sent Thea earlier today, Corey, and she should have sent it over to you. Do you not have it? I can quote it if you don't. (laughs) Uh, No, sure. Take your time. Um, Dan Sullivan, of course, is uh, (laughs) a... Okay, well, here. Oh, let's hear it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Strikes against these uh, Iran backed targets, um, not Iran itself. They've yeah. made that clear. We know that tonight there was there was nothing done inside Iran. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of, of what we know so far? 85 strikes, seven facilities, Iraq and Syria. Well, Alex, it's early. And of course, our men and women now are are in danger. Right. These are dangerous combat missions. Look, I think the Biden administration made a big mistake by uh-huh. coming out and immediately saying we're not going to do anything inside Iran. I think even if that's their, their uh, policy, which I don't agree with, um, that's just bad signaling, right? Why, why would you signal to the Iranians? Let me give you an idea. You know, it doesn't have to be inside Iran, but I think the strikes need to make sure that it's bringing, bringing meaningful pain 
to the Iranian leadership. Right now, the Houthis are targeting American warships with Iranian weapons and Iranian intel from Iranian warships. My own view is we should be targeting these Iranian warships. Let's sink the Iranian warships and say, if mm. Houthis are targeting American warships with Iranian... You get the idea. Let's let's talk about why that's dumb and crazy and insane. You'll have some Republicans saying, oh, Biden's a warmonger, yada, yada. You know, they're going to attack him no matter what he does. There has to be a response because we know if Biden doesn't respond, Donald Trump's going to be all over it. And this is the tough thing when you want to be independent minded and feel like you can criticize the American president. But you've also got to keep in your mind. <laughs> Wouldn't it be worse if Donald Trump was in charge right now? Donald Trump would love to see every soul in Gaza snuffed out and probably wouldn't care too much about the Israeli ones either. But if the U.S. attacked Iranian warships like Senator Sullivan is saying, that would that would be an act of war. That would that would get us into a full scale war in the Middle East. Remember the war in Iraq? Didn't that talk kind of remind you of that? Look, this is all political. They have to try to make Biden look weak on foreign policy because it's an election year. But Republicans are demanding that Biden do something that that. No Republican president has done. George W. Bush didn't strike Iran. Donald Trump didn't strike Iran. Ronald Reagan, Bush Sr., none of them attack inside Iran. But guys like Sullivan think, oh, Joe Biden should commit an act of war or else he's weak. I don't like what Biden's doing. I'm not surprised that he's doing it. He has to do it. It's going to help him get reelected. This is how the game is played. Republicans are showing the kind of poor judgment that shows why they lose every election in this country. Now, meanwhile, as this is going by every election, I mean, every election since 2018. But meanwhile, Senator Johnson back here is saying, let's play clip a one, Corey. Hopefully the border bill will come soon. And he says that uh, H.R. 2 is still sitting over there on Schumer's desk. I hope that it comes out soon, if, if indeed there is going to be text. But again, we've been promised this for weeks and weeks. The House did our job. Remember, we passed H.R. 2. That's our Secure the Border Act. Months ago, nine months ago, it's been sitting on Chuck Schumer's desk collecting dust. If they really wanted to solve the problem, all he has to do is bring that up for a vote and send it to the president's desk. But he refuses to do that. Again, it's all politics, guys. Everything. It's all politics. <laughs> We've talked about this every night this week. We've been hearing for years how much we need bipartisan legislation on immigration. Mike Johnson himself called it a crisis during Trump's presidency. Ted Cruz called it a crisis during Trump's presidency. Trump himself called it a crisis during his presidency. But as of last week, it's not a crisis anymore. They're all competing over how to not do anything. And it's again, it's all for politics. It's bullshit. They don't care about the border. And they also don't care about the crimes of Donald Trump. Because Magellan's celebrating because they think they got two pieces of good news in Donald Trump's criminal enterprises today. In reality, they didn't. You'll see a lot of right wingers celebrating that Donald Trump was vindicated in the courts today. He wasn't. Let's break down both cases. Why? And again, it's all politics. It's all bullshit. They don't care. Now, you've probably heard Donald Trump's March 4th trial date in his Washington, D.C. criminal case is officially off. Which case is that? You might be wondering. I, I, I understand that feeling. This is the Jack Smith federal case. This is the big one. This is history's most important case for spray tan's most absorbent face. This is the case surrounding Donald Trump's efforts to break the law and try to cancel our election. Now, Judge Tanya Chutkin has vacated the March 4th start date because the D.C. appeals court is ruling on whether Donald Trump has any presidential immunity from the charges. And this is what they're slowing the process down with. 
this week. Immunity. Trump has full immunity. You know, the last time Donald Trump said he had full immunity was when he was taking hydroxychloroquine, saying it would help him not get COVID. And then he got it. Now he's claiming he has full immunity again. And it's an insane case. It's not going to last. Essentially, Trump and his lawyers are arguing, and this is what you can say to your right-wing friends when they pull this nonsense on you. Donald Trump's arguing that it's impossible for Joe Biden to break the law. Joe Biden had full presidential immunity. Barack Obama had full presidential immunity for any crimes they may have committed. You can't go after them. They're not officers. Yes, they take an oath of office, but they're not officers of the government. This is literally the argument. And it's rubbish. It's bullshit. They know it's never going to go anywhere. It's just designed to slow things down. They're, they're, they're saying essentially the founding fathers uh, really missed having a king. <laughs> so that's why you can't prosecute a president for anything. So Judge Chutkin made the call today, hours after indicating in court that all this uncertainty around the case has clouded her trial calendar in April and possibly beyond. There will be a trial date. It will come soon, as soon as the appeals court rules. And um, it's a pretty safe bet this one will go to trial before the election. This was widely expected as Trump is trying to do this. I mean, she rescinded the trial date in a very brief order, indicating only that she would reschedule if and when the immunity issue is scheduled. As soon as this gets slapped down by the courts, well, it'll be back on. It's not really a victory. It's just Donald Trump delaying the trial. And again, I can't say this enough. It's the most serious of all the trials. I'm of the belief that this trial, the election interference case, is possibly the most important criminal case in American history. We'll see. Now, the second one, Fonnie Willis. You might have heard Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis acknowledged in a court filing today that she was having a personal relationship with uh, the special prosecutor she hired for the Georgia election interference case against Donald Trump. Now, again, this is the Georgia state election interference case, not the federal election interference case. Two cases. They're both damning. Fonnie Willis is a RICO case. It's not going to end well for Trump. And they're trying so hard to delay this. She's not listening to claims of immunity. Uh, they're trying to smear her for her private life. She and special prosecutor Nathan Wade admit to a personal relationship that began in 2022. They admitted it in a court filing, arguing there is no conflict of interest that would result in a dismissal or a recusal in the Trump-Rico trials for Trump and all of his flunkies. Now, this one's pretty interesting because MAGA is flipping out that an adult had an improper relationship with another adult. These are Donald Trump fans who are angry at people having the wrong kind of sex. And look, it's bad. It looks terrible for Fonnie Willis. It's a lapse in judgment. It's a lapse in professionalism. Doesn't change the RICO case against Trump at all. It has nothing to do with Donald Trump's felonies. And this case will go on no matter what, whether Fonnie Willis is the prosecutor or somebody replaces her, because Fonnie Willis broke no laws. Trump supporters are... I mean, I, I get it. I get it. This is why he likes them. But you, you, you gullible people, you, you, you suckers, please. Why is Donald Trump's money in your bank account? Why is Donald Trump's money in your say? Get Donald Trump's money out of your bank account, MAGA, and give it back to its rightful owner, Trump. Donate to him until it's take out a loan to donate to Donald Trump. It'll really own the libs. Oh, it'll, oh, we hate when you go bankrupt donating to Trump. Please. He cares for you so much. <laughs> These folks are just. It's tragic dupes. We know these people. We love them. We work with them. But they think that this case is over now because Fonnie Willis is in a relationship with a special prosecutor. Guys, fools, 
Trump was indicted by a grand jury, not Fonnie Willis. Nothing is going to stop this case from going forward. You can't make the case that she should be disqualified after she and Nathan Wade turned in the affidavit. They shared travel expenses. There was no burden of finance, only on Mr. Wade. Any travel was paid with personal funds. No Trump RICO case income was shared. And the relationship began after he was hired. After he was hired. I mean, he was appointed a special prosecutor. They've never cohabited. Travel expenses are split between them. There's nothing here but smoke. And it's, you can say it's tacky, but it doesn't make the facts of the case any less true. A unanimous grand jury indicted 19 people. This is the biggest racketeering case in history. Fonnie Willis's personal relationships has nothing to do with Trump's actions within the racketeering conspiracy. This is how Republicans try to deflect everything away from Trump. And this is how Trump always does this. This is always his game. He's never going to try to claim he's innocent. This is what he did against Hillary Clinton. He's just going to try to make people believe she's as bad as me. You know, the people who are trying to hold me to account, they're the real bad people. That's what he's doing. He's attacking all of these prosecutors or judges, except the one he hired. But Fonnie Willis submitted this affidavit. There's no chance now. Trump cannot get her removed from the case. She admitted she and uh, and and Mr. Wade were both in this relationship and that it started after he was hired. He was not hired to provide her any financial benefit. His pay, which is the same as the other two prosecutors, was not designed for him to spend on her. So that's it. Sleeping with a co-worker is not a crime. And thank God for that. <laughs> Scott Hall pled guilty and he flipped. Sidney Powell pled guilty and she flipped. Jonathan Chesbro pled guilty and he flipped. Mark Meadows, he's flipped. Jenna Ellis pled guilty and she flipped. What is there, 14 left? A lot of them are going to flip. This is on Trump. It's not going to slow down the trial, brothers and sisters. These people were not in a relationship. She paid for travel. There's no basis for disqualification. <laughs> perfect, perfect relationship with perfect prosecutor only hires the best. Meanwhile, uh, I just want to give a couple of sad notes. Last night, we said goodbye to our friend Joe Madison today. Two terrible losses. We'll talk about him later in the show. But Wayne Kramer, the guitarist best known for his work with the Detroit hard rock band MC5. He died from pancreatic cancer today. He was 75. He met Fred Sonic Smith as teenagers, and they formed MC5. It means Motor City 5 in the 60s. Took a while for them to actually build up. They, they, wound up uh, being the house band in Detroit's Grand Ballroom. And John Sinclair, the poet and left-wing activist that John Lennon wrote a song about, became the band's manager. They aligned themselves with the White Panther Party. That was the anti-racist group that John Sinclair had co-founded. And they were wild, distorted garage rock. They tried to bring in jazz influences. They played outside at the 68 Democratic Convention. But when they signed with Electra Records, their 1969 debut record, Kick Out the Jams, which is the famous record they begin by screaming, kick out the jams, motherfuckers. It's a live record. Um, it changed rock and roll, and it led to punk. It led to metal. It led to Fred Sonic Smith marrying Patti Smith and leaving the band. Wayne Kramer was later uh, arrested for selling drugs, spent time in jail, and spent the rest of his life working with people who'd been incarcerated and making more music. He did a lot of solo stuff and did tons of music-based outreach work for incarcerated people. And a friend of this show has left us, uh, Carl Weathers. Apollo Creed in Rocky 1, 2, 3, and 4, star of Predator, Action Jackson, and so many great films on TV, series on TV. Um, Arrested Development. Uh, I remember he had his own show called Fortune Dane, which ran a little bit. And, uh, of course, The Mandalorian, where he played Grief Karga. He was only 76. 
And he was a lovely guy. I was honored to know him on Twitter and have him retweet me a lot. Um, as he always said, be peace. Thank you, Carl Weathers, for all of the wonderful performances. And thank you for all of the wonderful activism that encouraged a lot of people. The entire world is mourning. And when you see two big seismic changes in Donald Trump's legal, legal trials and at the same time America's bombing in the Middle East and the number one trending topic in the world is Carl Weathers, you know how much he meant to everybody. We're going to be right back with your calls at 866-997-4748 and our special guest, Mr. Brian Stelter. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. Right now, allow me to quote our next guest from an excellent recent column of his. Iowa caucus turnout numbers were weak. Ratings for the cable news coverage of the results were soft. Two primary debates ahead of New Hampshire were canceled, and those trend lines aren't going to suddenly turn around. The prospect of a rematch between Joe Biden and Donald Trump is, for untold millions, the worst kind of rerun. And poll after poll, Americans are saying that they are underwhelmed by the 2024 candidates and unhappy about the political system as a whole. Some are terribly angry and motivated to vote and door knock and donate, but many are just tired. So writes Brian Stelter in a great new column for Vanity Fair. Now, y'all know Mr. Stelter, of course, as the host of Reliable Sources. I was honored to be a guest on that show several times. He's the author of Network of Lies, special correspondent for Vanity Fair. He hosts their really cool podcast, Inside the Five, and he's a producer on the morning show on Apple TV. All that, and he's raising a kid in Manhattan. I don't know when Brian Stelter finds time to sleep, but uh, welcome, Brian. It's a pleasure to have you on SiriusXM. I'm staying up late with you, John. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you can tell that we're dads in New York when 9.20 p.m. is late for us. Um, Brian, I <laughs> love this. I, I loved the column, and uh, I, I think a lot of people are feeling it. Um, do you think that people who aren't in media and aren't news nerds are feeling the burnout, or is this just people who are paying attention? 
I think it is uh, both people who are insiders, who are junkies, as well as outsiders. And, and I felt compelled to write about this because I think it's the mood music of the election season and something that has big ramifications for Joe Biden and Donald Trump and everybody else. You know, it's it's obvious and easy to notice the people who do go to Trump rallies. It is easy to notice the people who are Joe Biden super fans, right? The people that you follow yeah. on social media. The pe- exactly. But what is, more, I think, more important to recognize is that there's a massive number of people who are fed up, who are pissed off, who are depressed by this, who don't want to rematch, who are disillusioned. And whether they choose to vote or not, it's going to be a very big deal this fall. It's true. You, you, you quote the writing founder, Harold, Howard Polskin, in the piece, and he said, we may be seeing the effects of consumer news exhaustion colliding with the proliferation of substacks, newsletters, and podcasts that now overpopulate the news ecosystem. I mean, it does seem like it's the sort of scenario where I think a lot of us need to to take breaks. Uh, and I, I always yes, advise people, yes. I do this for 15 hours a week. I tell people you have to take news breaks for your mental and emotional well-being. But exactly. do you think also, Brian, uh, are there, is it also a case that a lot of folks aren't really paying attention yet? Part of it is that, you know, I I call it the great tune out. But part of it is that there has not been a tune in yet. That's absolutely true. Mm. Um, You think about some of the the factors here. Information overload is what you just described. People being overwhelmed. There's so much information. There's saturation, right? Uh, At the same time, people burnt out by politics, disappointed by politics, um, also unsure what to believe because there's so much mis- and disinformation. So all of that combines to create a situation where some people have tuned out and others have not tuned in yet. Now, will that change uh, come the general election? Yes, of course it will, right? Some people are going to click back in. Tens of millions of people are going to click back in. But I think we have to look around and recognize how different this environment is from 20, uh, well, let's say 2008. 2008, Barack Obama promised hope and change. In 2016, Donald Trump kind of promised the same thing, but to a very different group of voters. (laughs) But in all of those elections, there were optimistic messaging, the messages. There were, I don't don't see that this time around. What I see is a, a kind of great depression of elections. It's interesting because President Biden was all ready to begin this fall and this winter rolling out all the accomplishments, talking about Bidenomics, the numbers don't lie. And now all of those economic achievements and legislative achievements have been completely overshadowed by more violence in the Middle East. No one's talking about I, I think, Biden's economic achievements. It's, it's all about the fact that we're bombing Iraq and Syria today. Should, should we explain why you, the, you and I connected tonight, by the way? Should we reveal yeah, let's, what we have let's, in common? Let's, Let's tell, let's tell everyone. Sure, <laughs> it's a good a story. Brian and I, the scenes story, yeah. Brian and I were both booked to appear on our um, the, the the wonderful Stephanie Rules program on uh, MSNBC, and um, which is a great show. It's fun to do. And uh, right, I don't know where you were in your commute, Brian, but I had just gone through the metal detector when I got the call that we were at war and that uh, our segment would be bumped tonight. Uh, yes, I, I I had a feeling as soon as I saw the news alert about the uh, the airstrikes in Iraq and Syria, I wondered, are we actually going to do this show tonight? Uh, mm-hmm. I had never been on with Stephanie Rule, so I was looking forward to it. Oh. Uh, but understandably, MSNBC is going into rolling coverage tonight because Biden is promising these are not the last airstrikes, only the beginning. Um, you know, and, and so I, I can understand, especially for progressive voters who want Biden's economic wins to be recognized, it can be incredibly dispiriting to see so much attention on foreign policy at this moment. I I would also suggest, though, that, uh, you know, this can be an opportunity for Biden to take the main stage. 
Here's what I mean I by that. Donald Trump is usually the main character, okay? He's usually the main character in any story. <laughs> uh, but for for Joe Biden to show the power of the presidency, even at a very fraught and difficult time in the Middle East, uh, there can be there can be that, that can be significant. Maybe for a while, Biden will be the main character. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. I actually think that, you know, there's going to be a lot of Donald Trump fatigue and a lot of Donald Trump criminal trial fatigue by the time uh, the fall rolls around to say nothing of how yes. all these polls yes. are flipped on their head if there's a single felony conviction. Right. That's that's exactly right. That's why I wrote this piece for Vanity Fair. I, I feel like there are so many unusual and unprecedented factors this year, including the indictments and the Trump trials. Uh, it's impossible to forecast what's actually going to go on in, in the next uh, 10 months. Um, but this idea of people being exhausted by Donald Trump, uh, fed up by Donald Trump, certainly not persuaded anymore about Donald Trump is a really important mm. piece of all this. I, you know, For all the talk of his strength in the primaries, we need to recognize the Republican party is shrinking. His electorate is shrinking. And look, I think he exploits that. He benefits from having a depressed electorate, having fewer people turn out to vote. <laughs> it's that way. Yeah. It's only MAGA cult members who turn out for him. Well, and generally, that's been the way it's been for most of our lifetimes. When there's low turnout years, Republicans always benefit. However, you're right. Donald Trump's base is not expanding. And it's been kind of peculiar how he's still seemingly running to clinch the right wing base when he's got it. We what we aren't seeing is the Etch-a-Sketch. We're not seeing him trying to expand the appeal that much. But, you know, Brian, you mentioned 2008 mm. and 2016. Do you think this is at all like 2004? I mean, people are paying attention to the news often urgently, but they're just a lot of folks are generally not excited or inspired by the two major candidates. 20 years ago, it was a Republican incumbent who had gone to war and had not found WMDs versus John Kerry, who many felt was not the most dynamic choice to take him on. That's a really interesting analogy. I, have, I admit I haven't thought a lot about. I'm, the first thing that comes to my mind when you mentioned 2004 is that both of those nominees were a lot uh, younger uh, than the That's nominees true. that we're likely to have. And well, I think every year both the, nominees were a lot younger. I think every year the nominees were a lot younger. <laughs> I do think part of the great tune-out, part of this fatigue and exhaustion is disappointment with the American gerontocracy. Uh, and yet there would not be uh, this gerontocracy if, if some segment of the voters didn't want it. Um, but your analogy about 2004 is really intriguing um, because you're in, you're in a political environment that was dominated by foreign policy. And I, exactly. I think, John, we just don't know what the what the lead story will be on television this fall. I think we just don't know yet. We, we, we can't yeah. forecast it. I mean, we know it'll be. Uh, well, we know it'll be a lot of things and a lot of criminal trials, and probably the Republican Party will have realized they don't want to go after Taylor Swift by the fall. But we'll get to that in a second. Brian, what do your <laughs> journalist contacts say about all this all this news fatigue and information overload? You talk to a number of journalists uh, for the piece. H how do they feel? And, and is are their experiences similar to their readers and viewers? Uh, number one, yes, they are. And you, you can measure this fatigue in the in the ratings for cable news. You can measure it to some extent to actually with web traffic. Um, but mm -hmm. I but I, I don't want to get it too twisted. At the same time that there is this exhaustion, it's very real and it's measurable. Um, we're also in an election of great consequence. And news executives and anchors and journalists and political reporters know that and are are trying to to live up to that um to, to the need for uh, you know, strong coverage. The the, the biggest uh, thing I hear about when I was uh, I was at like some dinner party, and you know, every time I'm there, I usually bring the bring the uh, bring the fun down because we ended up talking about Trump and <laughs> Biden and all the rest. But you yeah. know, the conversation yep. with a bunch of news executives the other night all turned to 
how to handle Trump when he's speaking live. What do you do? And they all admit it. This is a very live, active, difficult conversation. Let's 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 pretend it's the summer and uh, Trump is the nominee and he's giving his convention speech. Are the networks supposed to ignore it? You know, or normally it would be taken live. But Trump's not a normal candidate. He, he, mm-hmm. What if he's getting up there and defaming people and smearing and lying? And I yeah. think that so those issues, uh, which I know you talked about a lot, John, those are very live conversations. What what to do about this unprecedented candidate? And that's what's fascinating from a media perspective, Mr. Stelter, because, I mean, think about it. They're trying to argue. They're trying to figure out what is the journalistic line to walk. I mean, at what point is broadcasting lies betraying our journalistic mission? And at the same time, these are news executives. They got to look at the ratings points. And, you know, you've got to measure, well, what's going to be better to satisfy our shareholders in corporate media if we flip away from Trump or if we keep Trump on? And one of the stories that's, I think, bubbling under the surface is Trump doesn't seem to be as good for ratings now as he was way back in uh, 2016. So I'm glad you raised that. People have not noticed this has not gotten enough attention. This has not been recognized often enough. And I, um, so I'll give you an example that, that I think proves your point. Uh, Donald Trump uh, held a town hall on Fox News because he refused to go to the debates, right? And the debates without him would average three or four million viewers. So he has a big town hall on Fox News and it averaged four to five million viewers. Okay, that might sound high. I would actually argue it's pretty low. (laughs) Donald Trump, who is allegedly this huge celebrity, this incredible magnetic force, uh, this leader of the MAGA movement in America. Are you telling me that he can't get more than four or five million viewers in primetime? I mean, geez, Jesse Waters gets three million by himself. I I think that there is a there is a tune out about Trump that's been underappreciated. Yes, of course, his loyal fans will uh, follow him to the ends of the earth. But he's not bringing in people who are curious anymore. You know what I mean? He's not bringing in people who are like, hmm, what's Donald Trump saying tonight? Maybe I'll consider thinking like there's none of that happening anymore. He is his the he's able to fill the front row of the arena, but it's harder for him to fill the back row. That might be the way to put it. Yeah, we're seeing more and more footage of all the folks walking out from half-empty stadiums during the speeches. And of course, there's a lot fewer rallies as well. Let me ask you this, though. Much has been made of the low turnout in Iowa, right? 86% of Republican voters stayed home. Trump won with only about 53,000 votes. I've been to concerts with more people in the audience than Trump won in Iowa. Isn't it fair, though? I mean, it might be schadenfreude to say only 93 percent of the Republican electorate of Iowa didn't vote for Trump. But it is fair to acknowledge the weather was atrocious, right? I mean, the media may have uh, overestimated a bit. Sure. And and the same in New Hampshire. You know, you you had high turnout in New Hampshire, but in the in the Republican primary. But that was largely because of Democrats and independents showing up for Nikki Haley. So, you know, I, I think <laughs> you, you, we, right. we can argue it either way. But here's here's what we're not seeing. What we're not seeing is this surge of like interest or support from uh, anyone other than the, the oh, I mean, I, I'm sorry to use the word cult, but I think it's a fair word, his his cult of Trump. Um, and, and by the way, I, we probably shouldn't fear that word anymore. It's been pretty clear no. now for almost a decade. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's. Uh, I actually have a test for it, Brian. I, I When I'm conversing with a, a MAGA acquaintance, I'll always just say, Hey, I'm going to post this sentence, and the sentence is, I believe that any Bidens who knowingly broke the law deserve to face justice. I'm going to post it. Can you post the same sentence saying, I believe any Trumps who knowingly broke the law deserve to face justice, (laughs) and no one can do it because they're terrified of saying those words out loud. 
Um, so yeah, I and think I you're think very that, fair using the C word. And I think the most important distinction in 2024 is going to be between the people who refuse to say that, who refuse to post it, who refuse to yeah. be independent thinkers versus all the other Republicans and swing voters who who don't want to go that far down, right? Who don't want to be that far down the rabbit hole. I'm, I'm thinking about a neighbor of mine who leaned over to me the other night and said, at some party, he said the other night, he said, I just, I love Trump. I just wish he'd stop talking so much. And embedded in that comment, right, is a distaste, a disappointment, a hold your nose feeling about voting for Trump. And I'm sure he will vote for Trump this fall. But do you know what yeah. I mean? That's not a cult member. That's someone yeah. who wants tax cuts, but not the yeah. full Trump. <laughs> I, absolutely. Yeah. I, I try to understand which one I should be more concerned about these days. Let me ask you, Mr. Stelter, how do you handle it? I mean, you're you're deep in this world. You've been the target of a lot of this negative organizing. You know, how do how do you handle all of this information constantly flowing? We're here five nights a week and then I do stand up about it on the weekends. How, how do you <laughs> process and stay sane? No, you're you're raising a child in New York City like me. What's what's your method? Yes, and, and until recently, uh, I, you know, my six-year-old learned this song in school. She learned the the song with all the president's names, and uh, you know, at the end, it says, uh, you know, Bush, Obama, Trump, Biden. And until recently, she thought Trump and Biden were the same person. And I've got to tell you, John, how fun that was to try to explain, to try to separate the two men, to try to explain the difference between the two men. You know, it, it was really great perspective and. You know, I know it sounds trite, but I, I I do think having the perspective of a child is what keeps me sane and grounded throughout all of this. Yeah, I agree. You know, Brian, I didn't think that we could have a more important issue facing America than Hunter Biden or trans children playing sports. However, uh, Taylor Swift might vote Taylor for Joe Swift. Biden again. And um, we have heard nothing but stories about this all week. While Ms. Swift has said nothing about it, we're nonstop hearing how she's politicizing football. I'm pretty sure she's the one not politicizing it. And um, it's entertaining. <laughs> it's funny. It's good for jokes. I mean, who knew so many football fans had brain damage? But at the end of the day, how much of this is media clickbait, Brian? How much of the Taylor Swift controversy that doesn't seem to really exist I mean, I guess if heads of state, if, if politicians are talking about her and criticizing her, it's a story. But how much of this is the media trying to use Taylor Swift for ratings the same way they use Trump? Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it in that framing. I, you know, we were going to talk about this on, on MSNBC tonight, and and you know, and, and maybe that's an example of the of the ratings dynamic. Um, the yeah. reason I think it's about more than clickbait is because I think it gets to two really key issues. One is uh, women, women voters, uh, especially younger women voters, and how they feel about these candidates. Um, Taylor Swift is in many ways a conservative figure. Um, yeah. Someone who, you know, or at least someone that can be, that conservative voters can identify with. I'm sure she supported Biden in 2020, but not very loudly. She wasn't on stage with him, you know, the night before anything. She wasn't, so, but she, but she, she was, I mean, she, she came out for LGBT equality. She came out for women's reproductive rights. She was more against Marsha Blackburn than she was for Biden, but that's sort of the same thing to some folks. Well, no, that's, that's a very good point, but I, it wasn't in, I, I don't think what she was doing was in, in people's faces to create a polarization the way that, you know, other, other celebrities are polarized. So I think number yeah. one, you know, her relationship with, with young voters and female voters, and then number two, this existence of an alternative reality where, you know, there's this great book about Russia by Peter Pomerantz, who, who it was titled, um, it was titled, anything is, uh, it was, um, I'm actually looking at it, it says, nothing is true and everything is possible. 
And it was about Russia. It was about how Putin's Russia, where nothing is true and everything's possible. And these mm. crazy conspiracy theories about Taylor Swift, they are the same idea. That for some far-right people who are so far off the deep end, who, who don't believe any real news, who don't believe anything except for Trump, anything's possible at this point. So sure, Taylor Swift is a psyop, <laughs> right? That <laughs> these people are cut off from reality. And so the idea that Taylor Swift is part of a deep state plot by the Pentagon to swing the election to Biden and to uh, to ruin Trump's chances, like the, I think it's worth, I don't think it's clickbait to analyze what's going on in their brains. I agree. I think what's I going agree. on in their brains is important, even though it's yeah, also and, hilarious. Well, and there's also just a lot of old-fashioned internet dude bro misogyny going on here, and guys who might resent her for whatever their reasons are finally have a reason to justify tearing her down. There's a lot of that. I mean, this happens the same week as all these AI photos ever come out. So, yeah, I think it oh, is Oh, that's news. a good no, point. That's no an doubt. interesting combination, right? It's, just, it's these yeah. fears of a far-right minority that, you know, they they mostly white men who perceive America's progress as their loss. And, that's it. you know, right. they think they are out to get us. Yeah. Um, when we look at the two criminal cases that had news today, the Fonnie Willis case and the Judge Chanya Chutkin case, neither of them are probably going to change much of anything. The federal uh, election interference case will proceed. But do you find it interesting that felony convictions might not hurt Donald Trump with his base, whereas supporting Israel appears to be hurting the incumbent president with his base? Mm, right. I do. And I, it does speak. Well, that's about media environments, right? And what's salient. It's also mm -hmm. about the standards that the politicians are held to or lack yeah. thereof. I mean, the ultimate unfairness here, Bonnie Willis exactly. is being held to a relatively high standard and her ethics, her morals are being questioned. But Trump always gets to play in the mud while the people who try to hold him accountable are supposed to be perfectly clean, right? There's no standards for Trump. And then there's the highest standards for everybody else. Um, that's yeah. the ultimate unfairness at the heart of this. You're exactly right. Mr. Stelter, it's such a pleasure to finally have you on this show. What is the best way for our listeners uh, in the day and at night to follow you and keep up with all your many doings? I'm uh, at Brian Stelter on Twitter and threads, and I'll see you there. Hey, man, it took us getting canceled on uh, MSNBC to, for me to finally get you on this show. Thank cancel you so culture. much, Brian. Cancel culture finally caught up to us. <laughs> finally, we are the victims, Brian. Me too. We're the me victims. Too. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us, Brian. It's really a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. We're going to take a very quick break. We will be back in just a few moments with your calls. We're at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. In the next hour, let's let our hair down a bit with TV's Frank, Frank Conniff, who is just like Senator Bill Bradley, except he's not. We'll be right back. Let's get to your calls. We're at 866-997-4748. Zach in Tennessee, thanks for waiting on hold. You're on progress. Hello. John. John. Welcome. Yes. Hey, Zach. It's Zach in Tennessee, man. What's right up? Right on, man. How you doing? How you doing, hey, Zach? Got, hey, man. I'm all right tonight. Well, I'm irritated, but actually I have a, I've got a, I was looking here. I've got another quote from Larry Kudlow. Can I read that Tell to me. you? Yeah, I wish you would. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see here. All right. Go, uh, as if Greenland sets out of Very good. I mean, words of wisdom. It sounds a little bit like my Mitch McConnell, but it, it's uh, it's pre it's pretty good. Oh, 
Wow. And, and by the way, um, I, I believe I believe Larry Kudlow is a completely sober man. But in the 80s, he was using a uh, hundred thousand dollars of money on cocaine a month. And so Donald yeah. Trump put him in charge of the economy. <laughs> All the best. Only the best people. Only the best. <laughs> but I, I've, wor- I've worked yeah. with Larry Kudlow. I used to work at at at, at, uh, at, at CNBC. He's a he's always a very nice guy to me. I always have to say that. Go ahead. Well, that's good. Yeah, I I I work in investment. You know, I, I work I work for a couple of investors. Oh, so you know how it is. One of them back at, yeah, back in the day, Cudlow uh, and Kramer used to be on while I was working. We had to we had to keep it on CNBC to make it look mm. like we were you know knew what we were doing. But anyways, um, here's what I'm really irritated about, and uh, it's uh, this week's uh, br- uh, bloopers in the judicial system. That's okay. quote Anna Carvey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, you know, Brian, uh, which I love Brian Seltzer. He, that guy takes the slings and arrows and he, he, he sure does, does such great work. So I really yeah. appreciate you having him on. But, um, this Fawny Willis, I'm sorry, man, but you have got, because of the double standard and the asymmetry of expectations and accountability, she mm-hmm. she just, that. Even though what she did, or, or what is she, she is alleged to do, and now she is, you know, uh, uh, admitted that yes, she had a, a relationship with another uh, prosecutor. One of her, who, one of her prosecutors. Right, and that, and that's. I, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong, but because of the asymmetry of expectations, yeah, and you know, like Trump and his lawyers, they could all be, you know. Um, so once they walk out of court, they could, you know, walk right to the corner and start slinging uh, oxy and coke, and no one would, it wouldn't really be that big yeah. a deal. But oh, because, yeah, of course. Because we're, well, we're held to such a higher standard. So I mean, don't you you seem to agree with Brian on that one and me? Uh, we, it's not fair and it sucks, but it's not fair at all. And again, but but I I take a step back from all of this because I expected Donald Trump hates Fonnie Willis because she's everything he hates in a woman. She's black. She's educated, yeah. and she's not afraid of him. Those three things he does not like. But my whole thing is, even if what look what she hurt the relationship, it's ill advised, it's tacky, but it's yeah. not illegal to have a relationship with a coworker. Thank God I married one of mine. No, that's true. And and yeah. and there's no, I, I don't see any conflict of interest that would result in a dismissal or her needing to be replaced by another prosecutor or any kind of any kind of recusal it, you can say it's a lapse in judgment and it looks unprofessional it's tacky i got no problem with that but like it doesn't change the fact that a grand jury was unanimous indicting 19 people in the biggest racketeering case in american history and this shows to me oh. how terrified the trump team is that they're hoping that this can be the thing that delays this, it or gets right. them off that's it, and, and with our media, but but you know, with the way our media goes, it could it, it will work. You know, we it might. It's just like it might. You know, the bigotry, soft bigotry, low expectations, the asymmetry, whatever you want to yeah. call it. It just irritates me that we we even just got down this road. And I'm also ill about this uh, about you know Judge Chucking up in D.C. But other than that, it's been a great night, and I appreciate well, you for letting me call and complain. Brother. I appreciate you. Let me tell you, don't be ill about Judge Chuckin, Okay, uh, this was expected. We <laughs> knew this was going to happen. Donald Trump is spending a lot of money 
to try to claim in court that a president is not capable of breaking a law. His immunity thing is so unconservative. It is so anti everything the Republican Party has always said. And this mm-hmm. party has now gone from I am not a crook to a crook is not a crook. He's le- literally right. arguing that a pre- he's arguing it's impossible for Joe Biden to ever break a law while he's serving as president. He's just stalling. There will be a trial date. It will be before the election. I don't know if we'll have a verdict before the election, however. Well, I hope so. Well, at least we have Curb Your Enthusiasm to look forward to on Sunday. We'll talk (laughs) to you later, man. Thank you so much. 866-997-4748 is our number. Let me go to Andy in Delaware, who's been on hold forever as well. Andy, welcome. You're on SiriusXM. Hello. Sounds great, man. Oh. Oh, shoot. I'm You're sorry. You're in tune. That's okay. Okay. Are you doing a bit? Is this a bit? Well, thank you. I, <laughs> I, I figured I'd be on hold for much longer. How oh, are you? That, um, no, I, I thought you were doing a bit playing music for us. So whatever works for you, man. It was great. Hi. Okay. Well, thank you. I'm just kind of sitting here, uh, you know, you know, plunking away. Um, what I want to talk to you about is this. Every Please. time I turn on the news, I hear more Trump legal shenanigans, more bullshit. Yeah. And I, the, the, the media and Democrats and everybody who's opposed to Trump has to get out of the legal weeds with this guy. Why? And realize what we're all what we're all what we're really arguing for is good judgment. And they're without spending one word on one of these legal things. Um, we can say this. You know, we're going to have a whole campaign. I, I even thought thought one up on myself uh, Tell me. Uh, about it. Uh, get this. It would be called Judgment, Donald Trump's Great Ideas. And uh, the first <laughs> one would be January, January 6th. January mm-hmm. 6th, you know, showing a video from the stage of those knuckleheads out there dressed for battle. Donald Trump thought it was a good idea to tell this group of supporters uh, to storm the Capitol and fight like hell or they won't have a country anymore. That's right. And he thought that was a good idea and end it with, you know, something in, to, in, in that vein and then empty uh, end it with, um, do you want this guy in charge? Is yeah. this what you want from your president? The same thing with the Mar-a-Lago. You don't even have to, that case. That's going to be stalled until after the election. I, I just know it's going to be. Probably. I mean, you know? I've never heard in my life of a criminal case where a defendant got to hire his own judge. It's never happened before. I mean, Incredible. a judge should recuse herself, but she's going to delay it, uh, delay it as much as possible. It is a state charge, though, so it probably won't go away. It, well, it's another one that goes judgment. Donald, One of Donald Trump's great ideas was to take top secret confidential documents and store them in a bathroom and in a, uh, you know, the hall in his Mar-a-Lago apartment in the Mar-a-Lago state and and have visitations from Russian and Chinese spies. This is one of Donald uh, Donald Trump's great ideas. Is this what you want? Yeah. Is this what you want from a president? And I like the campaign. We have this is what we have to post. John, you can take another dozen. But we all know. Inva- that- I like this for I like this for history. You know, like invading Russia during winter. One of Hitler's great ideas. You could do this for anybody. I love it. 
You, and the other the other thing is you could take um, any one of these issues that he's dealing with um, and, and do it that way. Donald Trump thought it was a great idea to um, cheat on three of his wives, admittedly. Mm-hmm. Donald, you know, I mean, I, there are so many things that you could take without even mentioning one court case. Yeah. Because the, the American people, I'm telling you, John, people's eyes glaze over when you talk about 91 felony counts. And, oh, yeah, which, you know, you don't, you're not mentioning one. You're not mentioning one when you say that. It's useless yeah. to say that. I, well, I, I guess and no. There, there is a purpose to it. And again, as a teaser campaign, it keeps it in the news. Once the trials begin, everyone's going to know the details. You know this part is true. Alvin Bragg will probably be the first one to begin. And Alvin Bragg is already reframing the entire Stormy Daniels case as being a story about election interference. Wow. How could that Which be is the right a, kind of a, right kind of language to use? Well, if you do that, I mean, he's he's using campaign funds. But how is that election interference? How would that be? Because he was paying her money to try to circumvent campaign finance law. If you're giving someone money to help you win an election, you have to report it. And he was buying her silence. They were spending this money to try to shut her up, and he did it through a third party. So Michael Cohen's already gone to jail for the same exact felony. Michael Cohen went to jail for the crime that Trump's about to go on trial for. There's already precedent of putting an American in prison for this. Yeah, well, that's that's really all I got. I I think that we have to stop talking about the legalese. We got to remove the legalese. I just started watching the uh, the series Suits. Yeah, and, how is it? You know, it, it's it's actually very good, but it's it's not real. I mean, I can't believe some of this stuff that, uh, is, but it's but there's a lot of um, you can get so tied up, uh, you know, tied into the legal jargon and maneuverings and stuff you forget about what is the real issue and with donald trump it's bad freaking judgment terrible ideas yes dangerous yes yes and that's and that's that has that's what has to be put out there because okay let's take the Mueller report what happened the Mueller report was chock full of stuff of obstruction all that i know bar did he his magic wand and guess what all the right wingers were saying exonerated he's exonerated yeah but in fair in fairness in fairness it was the democratic party that chose to not prosecute him for any of those 10 black and white cast iron obstruction of justice charges i mean somebody could have gone after him for them and no one did well how would they do it when they weren't in they didn't have they weren't in charge of the justice department Uh, impeach him for it I mean, oh, okay. why why did they only impeach him? Why did they only impeach him for trying to bribe the I mean, he was impeached twice for trying to cheat to win the 2020 election. Right. Once blackmailing yeah. Zelensky and once trying to overthrow it. I, I could have handled, you know, another 10 impeachment counts in any one of those uh, impeachment trials. They throw the book at him. They've got it. I mean, Mueller spent all that money. I mean, the Mueller investigation actually made a profit because they seized so many assets from Paul Manafort. The government made money off of it. But they, there's 10 cast iron cases of Donald Trump committing election uh, uh, obstruction of justice, and they just let it slide. I mean, Mueller's no, no. sin was that he didn't follow the money. That was it. He didn't follow the money. He didn't look into the money laundering and all those good memories. I got to run because my guest yeah. is waiting. But I thank you for the call, man. I really appreciate it. I'll try to work a piece up next. Okay. Uh, Thank you for playing for us. You know, folks, you might have heard earlier this week 
there were all over social media a bunch of really atrocious AI photos of Taylor Swift, America's sweetheart, photos of her in lascivious poses doing lascivious sexual things. I, I didn't see any of it, uh, but I hate when that stuff happens because it really interferes with my enjoyment of the racists and Jew haters and Muslim haters on Twitter to say nothing of the MAGA guys who cut off their dad's head and put up videos of them holding the decapitated head, which I did see the same night. I saw the decapitated head. I didn't see any Taylor Swift AI pictures. Frank Conniff can make sense of this world for all of us. He is a comedy writer and performer who began his TV career writing for the Peabody Award-winning Comedy Central series Mystery Science Theater 3000, where he played TV's Frank. He went on to be a writer, producer, and actor on the ABC series of Breed of the Teenage Witch. He was a writer and producer on the Drew Carey Show, and I've had the great honor of working with him on stage, on TV, and on radio. The Mads are back. Have another live stream coming up. Frank and our good friend Trace Bill Yu. They do this great live show where they are the Mad Scientists of Mystery Science Theater and they riff on cheesy movies. And the next one, write this down because I want you to not listen to our show this night. Tuesday, February 13th. Celebrate Valentine's Day Eve with something really funny. Information and passes available at dumb-industries.com. TV's Frank. Welcome back. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Thanks for being uh, had, sir. I, I have to say that the, the Mueller report was the uh, True Detective season two of investigations? It uh, it was hyped like crazy, and and it was the media that really fucked up with that because they, I agree. They they Bill Barr uh, put out a thing saying that he was exonerated, and the New York Times went along with it. You know? They sure did. They sure yeah. did. But I would I would actually if I I think that Donald Trump was the uh, True Detective season two of American politics. Because uh, uh, he thinks he gets good ratings. He doesn't understand a lot of it is from hate watching. Because I watched every episode. I just hated that show so much. Shoot Detective Season 2. I could not get enough of waiting for it to be good or bad. Yeah, that actually, in retrospect, uh, Season 2 was uh, was a good hate watch. Ultimately. My favorite hate watch than Sex in the City, Frank. Yeah. How are you, Mr. Conniff? How, how's how's okay. the week been treating you? Yeah? I've, I've been good, you know. Just I'm uh, glad. I wanted to get your thoughts on the the war on Taylor Swift. It's actually fascinating. She hasn't said a thing about politics in a couple of years, but the magas are saying she's injecting partisan politics into football anyway. I mean, you know, my hope, Frank, is that at some point the right wing war on Taylor Swift will expand into a larger regional war Mm -hmm. and they'll attack Beyonce and the Beehive as well, because I I think Republicans don't need help turning away young people and women, but they keep finding new ways to do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's part of a long tradition of uh, of old people um, uh, disparaging pop music and uh and and, you know the thing is 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 they they would really love to destroy her the way they successfully destroyed the dixie chicks back in the day you're Um, oh you're right you're right you know and but they're not able to you know the world has changed a bit uh and you know all these conservatives talk about cancel culture there was no bigger example of cancel culture than what happened to the dixie chicks ever. no it's such a great example such a great example and they were proven right about everything you find yeah, one of right those philistines everything. one of those philistines who canceled the dixie chicks who will still defend george bush's war now yeah yeah and um so uh taylor swift god bless her she's just uh, so powerful 
and um and and it's it's great the way she just drives them crazy and she's you know she's a southern uh christian woman who hates donald trump and has a lot of influence and they find <laughs> that very and they find that very dangerous you know yeah, um, yeah. because uh you know any as you know more than anyone any true christian is going to be absolutely opposed to donald trump and, well, uh, not any true Christian, you know. anyone who's read the Bible, I think, well, actually yeah. read it, you know, but, um, mm -hmm. but I got to say, you know, the left may have Taylor Swift, but, uh, she's no John Voight, Frank, the right has John Voight. John Voight, his music slaps, especially his early albums. Are I like his stuff before his acoustic stuff before he got all uh, pop and commercial, uh, I think, you know? Yeah. They, uh, the right wing, uh, now they look at, uh, at, uh, John Voight, he's their midnight cowboy trick now. You know, they just, <laughs> hey, all the right wingers just want Joe Buck in their uh, in their Times Square hotel room, making it happen for them. Look, I don't, I don't want to disparage the right. Yes, John Voight right. is fine, but they, they've also got Russell Brand, Frank. And um, <laughs> we can't ever write how important that is for the Republicans to have him <laughs> with them. You know, I, here's my new strategy. I'm going to start questioning vaccines right now. So when I get attacked for all the sexual abuse I've committed, I can just say they're trying to shut me down for telling the truth about Big yeah. Pharma. That's my whole plan to be a, a sex predator monster. I actually remember when I was uh, in the studio with you, um on the show uh i remember russell brand was a guest on some other shows at sirius xm and he was walking around and you probably remember this they had to uh fumigate the narcissism out of the offices because it was <laughs> it was pervading everything it was more than anyone could handle and uh you know yeah uh, i i agree he, he i agree you know and as a recovering alcoholic i appreciate how he's uh, turned uh, recovery into a something that really helps the spiritual healing of predators. You know? Yeah, they they're so, people too, Frank. They're yeah. people too, and and yeah, the more you read about those accounts, it's fascinating. But to me, I I just think that Russell Brand needs to be taken down for Arthur Arthur the remake. We haven't talked yeah, about it enough. Remaking I mean, Arthur, yeah, remaking Arthur with Helen Mirren and the John Gilgood Butler role. I mean, look, mm -hmm. we contained it. I mean, not too many people were hurt, but it's still out there. It could still hurt people, and no one talks about it. Also, if you watch Arthur, the original Arthur, it's it's perfect. It holds up so well. It's it's so great, so hilarious. The idea yeah. that you would want to remake that is is just, um, you know, that's that's the power that be right there. That he should. You had a great. You had a great tweet this week. Uh, someone had said governments colluded to shut down and destroy Russell Brand, and you wrote, actually, Russell Brand's movie career colluded to shut down and destroy Russell yes. Brand. That's true. Yeah. You know, that was an example, too, of the American public getting something right, because Hollywood was like, hey, everybody, Russell Brand, come on. He's really cool. He's a movie Boy, they star. They pushed him on us. They pushed him on yeah, us. It's true. And we were like, no, nah, we're good. We're good. Yeah. Fast. Yeah. Yeah. It was the movie of The Tempest that did it for me. Another with Helen oh, Mirren. I don't don't know about that. Oh, Julie Taymor. Uh, there's a... Um, uh, Dia Diablo Cody movie that he's in. It's actually a pretty good movie. Um, I forget the name of it. She, I think it's her one film that she directed from her own script. Uh, young adult? No, not young adult. Um, uh, it was another, I forget the name of it. It actually had a, a, a great premise about, um, a Christian woman who survives 
um, a plane a, a plane falling on her and goes through a horrible recovery in the hospital and renounces her faith to her small <laughs> Christian community. Um, it, it, it's a pretty good movie. You know? I'm going to be and, so and embarrassed that I haven't seen this film. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I wish I, I knew the title, but maybe, maybe. Um, if only we, if if only someone would yeah. teach me how to spell IMDb. Mm-hmm. If I could spell it, I could, I, I could look it up. Yeah. Mr. Conniff, we have a lot of riffraff uh, who want to say hello to you. Are you up for talking to some of the evil yes, army of the absolutely. night? Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's start with Mitch from Kent State. Mitch, I know you wanted to talk to, uh, to TV Strike. All right, Welcome. Mitch. Hey, Frank. Good to hear you, buddy. Yeah, how are good you? to hear you, too. What's going on, Thanks, Mitch? Sean. Appreciate it. Uh, well, a little bit of everything here, John. You know, it's, it's this Taylor Swift thing, I, I, I hearken back to the days of James Watt and his uh, take, <laughs> take, down, take down of the Beach Boys. You talk about an oxymoron. I mean, my, and the moron, especially on the moron part. But, yeah, yeah. It, uh, that was just unbelievable. You know, the All-American Beach Boys. And, and, I don't uh, even just, remember that. James Watt was Ronald Reagan's Secretary of the Interior. Right. He was that, a revolting that, that character. Remember. remember he said how our commission has a black, a woman, two Jews, and a cripple. Like, that was how he yeah. talked about people. And yeah. at one point, um, he criticized having the Beach Boys perform at a government event because he thought they were a bad element and weren't patriotic. He didn't know <laughs> that Mike Love is this fascist lunatic. So uh, he caught he got a lot of flack back in Reagan's first term, wasn't it, Mitch? James Watt yeah, for, eight, for eight, eight, thinking eight, three, the, the Beach Boys, the eight 80s version of the Beach Boys were too edgy for him and the Reagan administration. That reminds me, too, of when Dan, remember Dan Quayle to, tried to bring down Murphy Brown? Of course. That? Well, yeah. she, was, she was too edgy for him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that reminds me of my decades-long crusade against Donnie Most, because I thought he was too edgy for me. So, yeah, all hey, around. Donnie, yeah. <laughs> but I would defend him. All of the, the happy days people are I defend are all the happy people. days people, except yeah. Scott Baio. We don't defend except Chachi. Scott Baio. He's an yeah. outlier. Chachi's he, canceled. All, every... And you've met you. You've had Ron Howard on, right? And and I yeah. Henry Henry Winkler. I've worked with Anson Williams. Menches, all of them. Henry Winkler has done the show. Ron's done the show a lot. I've never met Anson Williams. When did you work yeah, with him? A, he directed a Sabrina episode. Oh my God, that's so really, hip, Frank. Really good guy. Really good guy. I just saw a picture he, of him. He, he I, ran for for mayor of Ohio. And lost I heard about that, but I just saw a photo at some fair. It was Anson Williams with Donnie Most. And Jerry Mathers, the beaver. Uh-huh. And it literally, I just, I said your name out loud three times when I saw the picture, Frank. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Mitch. Go ahead. No, no, you're fine. Uh, you, uh, Frank, I, I was um, going to bring out, um, uh, let's see, um, uh, Gularty. It was, um, uh, oh, my God. Well, Rich, Thomas uh, Anderson's Anderson. father. Ernie right? Anderson, yes. And, you yeah. know, he got, his big, he got his big break here in Cleveland. He, he started that uh, That's right. late night. That's right. Uh, yeah, painting him, him, anyway, him and Tim Conway. Tim Conway, right? Well, yeah. he was fired here because he lied on his resume. But yeah. uh, uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, what the producer of the show is Chuck Sigdalski. Uh, he was a uh, the producer of the show. Anyway, he's he's real bad right now. He's in his nineties, but he's uh, mm. he's hanging on to life. But anyway, uh, the show it was kind of would you say one of the first shows to actually pan those? I mean, the, the old B movies and things like that, and uh, have fun. It with was- was one of the original, um, you know, hosted horror movie shows, which were, yep. as as everybody knows, were a template a template for Mystery Science Theater mm-hmm. three thousand. And in fact, um, Paul Thomas Anderson was on uh, 
was being interviewed on Turner Classic Movies by uh, Ben Mankiewicz, and he mentioned mm -hmm. that his dad was Goulardi and mm -hmm. about the show he did. And uh, and Ben said, you, you know, it was like Mystery Science Theater. And, and, yep. and Paul Thomas Anderson said, yes, exactly like that. So I loved I loved getting a shout out from him. Wow. Uh, yeah. Very yeah. nice. Frank, you got a shout out from Eric Idle this week. Eric Idle retweeted you. That was That's amazing. That's big, he, he, man. That's big. He mm -hmm. quote, and I loved, I love that he he didn't quote tweet me for anything clever. I said he just quote tweeted me for a tweet I did about how great uh, Mike Nichols and Elaine May were. You and, said so many uh, great comedians emerged from the late fifties, early sixties, yeah. and you rattled off, you know, some people who've been on this show, like Dick Gregory. Yeah, well, Dick Gregory and um, uh, Lenny Bruce and Mort Saul and Bob Newhart, and and I just said for my personal taste. The ones from that era who who still make me laugh more than anyone is Nichols and May and uh, Eric Idle quote tweeted me and said I agree. Wow. Me and too, then Michael said. McKean, my friend of the show, Michael McKean got in on the conversation too, so it was pretty awesome. Very Good nice. Frank, one other thing, I love the work that you would you guys do and everything. Did you ever consider uh, panning? bad tv shows like my mother the car or something like that well it's all <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't go after my mother the car uh that's uh, sacred to me but but, but I mean, you know a lot of it a lot of it has to do with um you know if you can get the rights to something you know i, I wouldn't that's true I that's actually true my mother the car but yeah on um you could never um, get the rights to big budget bad movies yeah. Um, right. So there are some te we did on Mystery Science Theater as part of our when we would do shorts. We did a couple episodes of 1950s era uh, General Hospital. Um, <laughs> That's brilliant. So that, that was that was pretty fun. But, yeah. um, you know, otherwise, it's it's a matter of uh, people always ask, oh, why don't you riff that movie? Why don't you riff that? It's like we, we can't afford it. It's all, but it's also um, ex it's exploded. Right. It's the entire internet now. My 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 son is watching these like videos all day of dude bros w who play video games and comment on them, and I'm like, this is MST3K. Yeah, I mean, it's all but, uh, over the internet. People a, watching things thing and commenting while. on them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mitch, I thank you for the call. We got to hit a hard break. Frank, can you stay with us till after the break? Yes, I can. We'll be thank right you. back with your calls. Thank okay. you, Mitch. We are at eight six six nine nine seven forty seven forty eight. Don't forget, Senator Bill Bradley joins us in hour number three. This is Sirius XM. Thank you.